very pleased to be here at Tatui, which I've, um, as Bruce pointed out, had a wonderful survey exhibition here on the heels of one in, uh, in Australia. And uh, the origin of that, this work here is a leftover from that because the billboards weren't available during the time of my exhibition. And um, I was responding to the Australian situation with the determent, uh, internment deterrent of uh, uh, refugees on the uh, island of Manos, which I read in the paper in The Guardian today apparently is going to be closed, but they still have hundreds of refugees there from, from Bangladesh, Afghanistan, Iran, and they've kept them away from Australia. For, and as the son of immigrants, and an immigrant myself to to uh, to Canada, uh, binational. Um, these are themes that I've been working with for my whole life, essentially, and living with a social anthropologist um, has reinforced that. <laughs> who's very, uh, I won't take any of her thunder, but um, I'm very very pleased to be here, and thank you all very much for coming. My name is Adam Narata. I'm a researcher at the University of Waikato, where it's a few degrees cooler than it is up here. I should have worn something else. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for uh, inviting me here today. I'm um, really interested in this topic, being a Māori person with an interest in um, issues around immigration um, in this current uh, limbo that we're in uh, politically, waiting for the Xenovote to decide how our nation will be governed. Um, so it's a hot topic at the moment. Really delighted to be here and delighted to be in a, a really beautiful, inspiring space because most of the um, stuffy halls that I work in my day-to-day -day job are not so inspiring. So <laughs> thank you so much and, and great to see you all here. <coughs> Um, I'm the Reverend Moa Strixon Pua, uh, Presbyterian. Um, I'm normally the token religious guy, um, <laughs> but I'm also an artist as well, a uh, published poet. Um, and the work that I work in is in the area of um, at-risk uh, young people, families and communities. And so um, it's an honour to be here. Um, my approach or my contribution today will be just as a son of a migrant uh, from Samoa, um, I'm looking forward to where we as a group wish to travel with these issues and how do we wish to explain that. I also need to own right from the word go, I'm from the left wing of the church and so um, I've, it's not a very popular position because <laughs> we're supposed to kiss button um, make secret handshakes or something but um, uh, I like the theology of that we ask hard questions, uh, we care for the environment, we have a commitment to social change and social justice and so uh, that's my bias in theology so good to be here. Uh, 
I've, I've got to say um, it's, it's a great honour to be with Bruce. Uh, my Pākehā side of the family were really impressed when I told them that I was going to be here with Bruce. And so I lied and said, I know Bruce. Uh, whereas my grandchildren told me, no, Papa, you'll know him after the meeting. <laughs> so, thank you, Bruce. And of course, it's a privilege to have you. Thank you. So um, people just... Uh, I think it's, once again, it's about our humanity. It is about how we wish to explore, explain, and contribute to uh, the movement of peoples. And then um, how do we bring back the issues of meaning and how do we empower uh, the group and the society that needs to. And as I was telling um, the other Bruce, um, I think um, Pākehā New Zealanders, you need to own that you've given us one of the greatest gifts, and that's the egalitarian ethos. It is the desire to create a new society. It is the desire to um, not replicate what was in the Northern Hemisphere, but to create a new society with new models of power, structure, sharing, and the way we address each other and our relationships. So, you know, I just want to say is this Margaret uh, Samoan, you know, Pākehās don't shift away from it. I reckon, well, I'm biased. I think that's an awesome concept for our country. And also in terms of we addressing also uh, tikanga Māori, Treaty of Waitangi, and our indigenous uh, positioning relationship and also the power sharing. Uh, Mimi. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Andrea Marina, and I'm currently finishing my MA in social anthropology as well. Uh, looking at the relationship between Colombian former refugees and volunteers in New Zealand and the heavily um, use of volunteers in the resettlement process uh, and how volunteers are deployed in New Zealand for quote-unquote cultural integration, which I still don't know what that means, but um, that's my focus of interest. Um, and yeah, I'm really grateful to be here and being amongst um, great thinkers and yeah, really looking forward to the conversation and where it goes. Thanks everyone. Um, so I'm Pauline Gardner-Barber and I um, have, a, as you might notice, the same name as the guy at the other end of the <laughs> line-up here. Um, and I won't rehearse again all the thanks, but I echo <laughs> thanks to everybody. Um, and I guess I put my hand up to come on this journey because I'm very interested in um, global migration issues and for some years now have been working, or a very long time actually, most of my career, doing research with um, people interested in Philippine migration. And I don't know if you know this, but Filipinos are um, heading out to labour markets all over the world and I've been following that process for a very long time now. And around 2010 in Canada, the Philippines became Canada's top immigration source country, which uh, sort of in a way validated my interest and made it kind of even in more relevant to where I live. So I got some funding to do some work on um, the changes in Canada's immigration policy. Um, and I continue to go backwards and forwards between the Philippines and Canada. 
Canada's policy has been restructured in various ways, and I've come to learn that um, Filipinos are not finding it as easy to get into Canada now as they did before. So some of the people I've talked to have wondered about New Zealand. So I thought this was a marvelous opportunity to come here and to learn from everyone present um, about um, immigration, citizenship issues in New Zealand. So I'm here to learn, but I also volunteered to moderate the panel, whatever that means. Um, and I, I thought I'd just begin by telling you that when the early conversations were going on between the people at the gallery and Bruce and myself about this event, um, Bruce and I came up with some questions, and they happen to be ones that I'm interested in, but they were just sort of provocative talking points that we gave to the panel. And I thought I'd put them forward, and the panel can then speak any which way they want and um, do whatever they want with this. But I just thought I should let you know what, what we said and um, you know what enticed, I hope, the panelists to come. So the questions were, um, who are today's ideal immigrants? Like, who, who do we think should be the, the right immigrants? Now, I happen to come, that's a very Canadian perspective. We need immigrants, there's no doubt about it. We have increased, we're increasing our immigration targets every year. So in Canada, you know, this is my bias, we do want immigrants. So who are the right ones, I thought, was a good question for here. What are or should be the obligations of a relatively better off economy an immigration country such as New Zealand, I don't know if you know this, but New Zealand, Australia, the US, Canada, are all described as immigration countries, right? So people who are looking to immigrate might look at those countries and think about where to go. I mean, of course, there's many other countries where immigrants show up or migrants show up, but these are the ones that are described as immigrant receiving. So, you know, what should our obligations be towards potential immigrants? Who gets in? under what conditions, who stays, for how long, and who qualifies for citizenship. And then finally, what are the state's obligations to reconcile relations between immigrants, indigenous populations, and other settlers? So with that, I'll, I'll turn it back over to the panelists, I guess, not the other interloper, but the panelists who are, are here to speak to these issues. And, let us go from there. So. Shall we work through them one at a time? Or? You do whatever you would prefer. What would you prefer to do? You want to go one at a time? Yeah. I mean, I not everybody might strategy. want to speak to these issues, right? Right, yeah. So you speak first. You want to do the ideal immigrant one? You want to go through that list? Oh, yeah. sure. Just, uh, okay. You're the boss, just trying to follow your... <laughs> okay, well, let's go one at a time. <laughs> Who are the ideal immigrants? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we had a, a bit of a discussion just before. Yeah. Because um, Adam has sent an email responding yes. to yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess yeah. I was talking a little bit earlier um, with my fellow panellists here about how um, traditionally immigration in New Zealand was um, very much about white people coming to New Zealand. Traditionally, English and Irish people were the, considered the, the kind of source nations for... Or New Zealand. So for a long time, it was a real racial um, idea of the ideal migrant, and it wasn't until the 1970s where our preference to those countries started to to fall out of our, our official policies. And um, 
it's important to note that that wasn't just um, like uh, using immigration in New Zealand wasn't just about providing opportunities for people to come here. It wasn't just about we need um, a specific number of people to come here to fill jobs or anything like that. It was also used strategically um, as a way to disempower Māori. So uh, Vogel, our former Premier, um, following the uh, rather dubious conclusion to the land wars, uh, there was no clear kind of victory um, in that regard. So demographic swamping of white people um, into the population was used strategically to disempower Māori to, to then be able to... Um, to claim our resources, so it has this real um, history to it that um, has created a lot of tensions for Māori. Um, and yeah, so that was our ideal migrant, and then um, I think that you were picking up on the point that now it's kind of moved away, although um, race and class can't be disentangled, mm-hmm. um, it's now moved more to a, a, a class kind of system, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Well, I mean, I guess I can only really speak from my research and my work with refugees and one thing that has come up is this idea of um, racial um, prejudice being a part of whether um, people are considered ideal or not ideal and this is not overt obviously nobody's actually saying we prefer the lighter you know immigrants but um, in terms of Colombian refugees the cohorts um, are changing um, in in terms of the conflict um, in the initial kind of intakes, more Moreno, more brown um, cohort were coming in. And as the conflict has changed from um, the army and the paramilitary to now more focusing on um, drug groups and cartels, uh, the cohorts are getting darker, effectively, um, because that's affecting a different area of the conflict. That's a coast that's being affected now. So what I've encountered is um, earlier intakes of Colombian refugees are becoming um, less and less thought as problematic in terms of integration, mm-hmm. and the later intakes are kind of encountering a lot of racial discrimination. So I guess mm-hmm. I was kind of responding to what you suggested in the beginning, that we mm-hmm. classify and constitute ideal immigrants racially. Mm-hmm. But I have also found that um, they're constituted in different ways, economically, politically. Mm-hmm. But that's one aspect that I found mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I'm doing the Ponsonby Heritage Walk tomorrow, so I'm cheating. I'm taking my notes from tomorrow for today. Um, Who are the ideal um, immigrants? And so when my parents came from uh, Papasatoa, Malaila, Wolu, they came here because they were told that there were economic opportunities. Uh, But for my parents, uh, the discussion in our Aina was, it was the two E's, okay? And so the two E's were really simple, economic and education. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing too was that for our Pacific parents, they actually believed that they were going home. They actually thought when they got here, you know, um, they believed that, oh yeah, we're young people, we're going to have an adventure, uh, pick our partners, set up these things, and then we're going to go home. So a lot of our parents' generation were really shocked to discover, uh, 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 you're staying here, your children's staying here, they're going to have to figure out those next evolutionary stages of development. You know, so when we were growing up, our parents were telling us we were going home. 
you know, and so it was quite interesting to all of a sudden meet this other racism of um, go home, go home, and then we're like, why are you giving us a hard time? Our parents are already telling us we are going home, so why are you you know, and so you had that context going on, and then, and then the interesting thing is when you look at dawn raids and, um, and the overstairs issue, the, the biggest group that was um, breaking the rules were English. And yet the minister of that time period, God bless that great man, who then announced on television, you know, like it's about Frisian cows. It's about picking the white cows from the dark cows. And yet the average New Zealander didn't have access to the knowledge that there was actually a really large English population. But look, guys, it's all right. What we're going to do is we're going to go look at the island people. You know, so I guess... What I'm learning from this whole concept of is that, um, and our sister's correct too, because um, for us that came here, we were unaware of the implications for Pacific Islanders taking jobs on and then wondering why there was a very cynical Māori group that were going, oh, you sellouts. You know? And that's a really good point that Māori's asking Pacific Islanders. You know, like, because we didn't know the history, uh, because we came in to play the game, and then that's one of the things that some of our Samoan cousins that I have have not understood is that they've taken it that Māori are the losers. Uh, we're here to get what we want and get out. Um, if not, stay here, but stay away from Māori. So you have a situation and a cycle whereby disempowerment, dehumanising and injustice fiend uh, that begins to perpetuate its evil. Uh, you know, when, when really... Um, there are certain ideals and standards of human behaviour and justice that's expected of us. So um, in answering uh, the ideal immigrant, um, my answer is that um, my parents would laugh because I got arrested at Waitangi. Uh, my parents would laugh that I got arrested during the Springbok tour. And, well, they weren't laughing, they were really crying. <laughs> they were utterly ashamed, you know, disgraced. And then when I became Presbyterian minister, they were, they were even more grateful to God that I changed. Um, if, if I can put it another way, uh, it is the issue of how do we make the connections of this nation, what it promises, what it could be. And so I'm a simple Samoan, New Zealand born. I went from being a New Zealand born Samoan to Aotearoa Samoan. Then I went to Aotearoa Pacifica. Now my latest development is that I'm a Nati Hamor Sanger Irish French Fuckababa. <laughs> you know, and I want to reassure you, my grandchildren are in the same boat. They too are wondering who the hell are we? What are we doing here? And you know, and I love it because um, my grandchildren um, have Pagia and they're trying to figure out Papa, every time you say certain things about Pagia, we feel uncomfortable. You know and I mean and so you should, it's your family. You know, and they're like, oh my gosh. And so the challenge is, how are we going to respond in a meaningful dialogue and change that really lives up to it? And call me, you know, that's why I'm the religious guy, okay? I actually like the ideals, I like the tough questions, uh, and I still have hope in people, even though it's really fucked up at the moment. But it'll get better. Is that cool from a religious guy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it's interesting to talk about this idea of identity and um, the perils of being in a multicultural 
or self-proclaimed multicultural society and this kind of constant strive to construct and constitute communities as inherently existent and as inherently being bounded by this kind of um, essence or belonging, like, you know, what it is to be Mexican as opposed to Colombian or New Zealander or Samoan, and then how those communities get reified mm -hmm. and then kind of have to speak up to the construction of the state as through mm. spokespersons mm -hmm. that have mm -hmm. to speak up for the mm -hmm. entire community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how the more and more we imbue this narrative with power, the more actually we lose the idea of identity and belonging. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yes, any it sense does. Yes, it does. <laughs> really important points. Um, I think also, too, uh, there you have... Um, I'm the old guy, so with my grandchildren, I, I love what she's pointed out. Like, to me, when I was growing up, communities are the church. Uh, communities is my village group. Communities are. My grandchildren have told me that their community is that, um, that internet uh, war game crowd that they play with. That's their community. You know, uh, and so with the technology, with the changes... Um, yeah, I, I get blown away. Um, I love that our grandchildren are telling us, and if we don't listen, we're going to miss out on some great opportunities. You know, they are redefining, and there are other ways to approach it in a quite a creative manner, and in a manner that also challenges us. Is our tikanga solid? Is our cultural practices up for the technology, up for the people development, and then up to the social policies that be required to bring about what is a migrant, these definitions, that type of society. You know, so, yeah, my grandchildren are awesome. They tell me I'm dead, old, and boring. But, Papa, it's okay. We have to look after you because that's tikanga. And I think, well, maybe this hope. Did you want to respond? Oh, maybe I'll just add um, from a couple of points that you've raised. Um, when you were talking about the dawn raids and how at that time um, there was actually more English um, overstaying yeah, people in the country than Samoans, and that's like a really clear way in which we can see discrimination being played out. And I think more recently, a more recent example is how Asians are being targeted in the media um, as if they're the only immigrants that we have in New Zealand yeah. and how there seems to be far more outrage about people with Chinese-sounding names buying property in Auckland than Americans buying property in Queenstown, which also has a major housing um, crisis at the moment. So these old themes of, of, of racism coming into play and how immigration is talked about, um, unfortunately, are still very true today. And we see it also play out in how... Um, our immigration policies are changed and tweaked whenever there seems to be like a groundswell of, of opposition, which is really led by politicians wanting to uh, campaign on, on um, hatred, essentially. So um, when we see these adjustments, the way that they've taken shape now, instead of uh, favouring specific countries, all they do is they, oh, we'll, we'll increase the, the test scores you have to have in English language proficiency to, to effectively block people out. We've also seen a big decrease in the number of migrants that we're getting from Pacifica nations um, in recent decades too. So um, although we like to think that it's all based on skills and it's all based on economics, there's still a lot of racism in our immigration policy. Yeah. I think also too, the other thing that I'd like to jump in here too is that um, as a Samoan Chinese, 
Um, I find it fascinating that when you look at this history of this country, uh, our response to the Chinese migrations in the goldfield is absolutely atrocious. Um, then we look at the perpetuation again of the Samoan um, New Zealand colonial period in Samoa with Chinese again, <coughs> then we see a double whammy again. Um, so how does this make us feel better? Well, um, I think by being informed, I think by us owning our history, I think by us, you know, having to look at some, you know, um, I'm trying to be positive here, um, by looking, because my, my grandchildren have picked up, they go, Papa, how can we always talk about darkness is evil? You know, so then now when I talk to my grandchildren, I have to go, in the whiteness of evil, you know, and then they're like, yeah, I know, they're going, couldn't it be like cafe brown, you know, or couldn't we be just, you know, like you said, Papa, we are spoiled brown bourgeoisies. Um, it's humanity issues, it's, it's about how we're going to get through it. And also the, the interchanging of, um, or in where I work with the young people that I work with, it's about who are you, how you figure out when you want to be I, me, and when do we cross over to we, us. But that you don't get sold out or trapped. It's a dynamic force, and you travel between picking your issues and the co-papas for you. That's what's really important, but I'm sure you'll explain it to me because well, I learned this in theology, so it must be suspect. Okay, so... Could we just talk briefly about the state policies that initiate registries of yeah they class stream of, of, ide yeah. of ideal immigrant yeah yeah but do we want all right so yeah i mean just quickly i would have thought because we took our some of the changes in our immigration policy ironically come from new zealand and one of those policies was to try and match skills to labor market and of course labor markets are incredibly fickle they're not constant things right but, you know, Canada picked up on that, so that's one thing. But I was just going to say one thing, and then I know somebody wants to contribute. But surely, this is to New Zealand, not knowing any better. I'm sure New Zealand probably said we want wealthy migrants. We want capital-bearing people. We want people who've got pots of money, and you people can come in at the top of the, top of the list. And so... Suddenly those people have arrived and they're buying property and they're living here and then all of a sudden, is it right? Am I right about this? Because that certainly happened in Vancouver, right? Yes. Um, the post-Hong Kong, um, with Taiwanese and Hong Kong people who had enough money to get in under the investment stream. So they were able to come and they were welcome because they bought money and that was considered a good thing. But suddenly it's not such a good thing if they're not... Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm just putting that um, yeah. forward as, as something that might have happened here, just in response to what you... Yeah, I guess yeah. it comes down to what the goals of your immigration policy, policy should be. be. Yeah. And I think that um, yeah, our immigration policy is set largely without much um, contribution from the people, um, the public, on, on what we want our immigration policy to do. And there's a tension, I think, at the moment between whether it's to create integration or whether it's to boost our GDP, mm. um, which is not... You mean create an integration? Well, currently under the um, investment uh, category, right. 
people don't really have much of an obligation to actually live here or to work here or I to see. engage. And mm. so that's a question that we have to answer as a nation. Um, yes. yep. Do is it? Do we just want to bring people in to boost the GDP, which yeah. probably doesn't actually benefit? Yeah. You know, that's not yeah, GDP yeah. per capita. Yeah. That's just GDP. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah that, that's a question that I think we need to, mm. to talk about. I think it offends a lot of New Zealanders mm. that people can buy citizenship. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of outrage recently when. Um, uh, a rich and American, American was um, granted citizenship after 12 days, I believe, in the country. Oh, really? Five. Well, five. sorry, five. five. Twelve. Granted Silly me. Yeah. 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 It basically yeah. bought. They fell. Peter Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you will have heard And he swore allegiance to the Queen. Well, then he had nobody to just pay his money. Yes. Lawyer problems. We have, we have a, a, a period, once you come as permanent residents, there's a period of qualification before you're eligible to apply for citizenship. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they're just kind of tinkering with that now. So one more thing, can I just do this and then we can... Um, so tell me then about your temporary foreign workers, right? Because that's an, that, at one point, around 2010 in Canada, there was a massive increase in the um, bringing in of temporary foreign workers who were not eligible to remain in Canada, except Canada then um, has devolved some immigration policy matters to provinces. So different provinces can set different immigration agendas. And some provinces allowed those people who came as temporary workers to transition to permanent. Um, but nationally, it's tended to, f to be done in terms of um, skill base. So some of the people who are working the hardest, who are contributing the most, who would make, in my view, great immigrants, are not eligible to convert to permanent residency. They have to leave the country after four years. And I, 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 I understand that there's also a lot of temporary foreign workers in New Zealand too. And I was just wondering about those people, how they fit in all of this. Yeah, so I guess over the last... 15 years or so, we've made it easier and easier for people coming in on temporary work permits to come in, as well as for people to come in on student visas. Um, so, and that's been an aggressive campaign to try and boost our um, export education industry. And um, so it's, it's been a strategic, it's been a, a, a real um, intentional move on the government's part to do this. And suddenly now they're kind of flipped and they're complaining about all of these people that they accuse of exploiting the system. Mm. Uh, where, whereas in actual fact, those people were invited to come and we, mm. we competed with other nations to try and attract them here. Mm. Um, we do have really high immigration rates at the moment. Um, net migration is, is at an all-time high, much, much higher than what we've had in the past. And so the government's response has been then to... Um, make it even more difficult for temporary migrants to stay and to, to, to get those paths to residency. They're, they're making um, immigrants uh, go home for a year, for example, before they can come back and um, renew their temporary work permits. Mm -hmm. So all of these things that they're doing, I think um, we have a responsibility to take much better care of people that we've invited into mm -hmm. our country. Mm -hmm. At the moment, there's a lot of fear um, amongst people that are here on these types of visas, not knowing what their future will look like, not knowing mm -hmm. who will form government and what that will mean for them. Um, so I think that uh, what we've done is we've created this this kind of underclass of people that have less mm. rights than everybody else, mm. and so I think that's one of our responsibilities is to take mm. to take better care. And if we if we need to adjust our immigration system, we need to do it in a way that does not negatively impact those we've already invited here under different pretenses. Mm. And um, from the Pacific side, 
uh, our concern that we have is, um, you know, and I want to approach it the other way, and that is that we've got a situation where um, New Zealanders don't want to do the dirty work. New Zealanders don't want the stink jobs because the market, quote, has pushed the prices right down. And New Zealanders aren't stupid. They know that those are incredibly... How are people supposed to survive on that? And then on top of that, uh, the whole issue of... Um, we then go to the other extreme of where we start picking on beneficiaries. Uh, we go looking for that somehow the government's going to recover $40 million from poor people while the high-collar crime guys are getting away with 10 millions every time they just step up to court. Um, so for the Pacific side, our problem is that they're coming in under certain um, laws uh, to do the work in the orchards, in the farms, and in the forestry. And so that's been really interesting. And our Pacific people are once again being targeted, you know, and, and that we're to be grateful that you guys are giving us that opportunity to come in here. Then on the other extreme, uh, you've got that... Uh, we have not woken up to um, that we've got uh, climate refugees from the Pacific coming, mm. and we're we're in denial about this, you know, because um, Australia and New Zealand have been the two major countries that have been the power presence of the Pacific region, mm. and so we've got this coming. We've got islands that are ready to be um, covered over, you know, and so therefore, you know, New Zealand, you need to wake up. This is coming. How do you want it? What position do you want to take? And where you're going to be on this, you know. But meanwhile, we're still looking at it through the lens of uh, naughty immigrants, um, bad, bad, bad. And yet we've got a tidal wave of climate change coming our way. Climate refugees—that's another new ball game coming fast. And we we need to get on board with that. Yeah. It's already happening. Yeah. Bruce, there was somebody over here who had a hand up, and I just. I'll try to be very quick. As an ancient musician who's been singing and playing around the country for so long, I really take your point about the egalitarian ethos, which has vanished. Mm. New Zealand no longer mm. has one. Mm. I'm sorry, I weep. Mm. Um, and some of my family are pretty strong liberal left prezies as well. Mm. So they were all Scottish. Mm. And I'm interested that we talk about white European Kiwis, which is really weird because uh, there were dawn raids on my family. My great-grandfather was chucked off the land and the crofters' cottages on the farms were burned. And the families were put out, the girls were raped, um, the women were dead lucky if they got away, and they ran for their lives with a pack on their back and caught ships to New Zealand. So Arnold's point there is very valid that the government saw the opportunity Mm. to bring people in who were useful because they were Scottish, so they worked really hard mm. because it's a mm. difficult country to farm. Mm. Yeah. And they were manic about education at yeah. this point. Mm -hmm. And so they started all those Mosgiel businesses in the South you Island, owned every manufacturing outfit, just like the first wave of Chinese who yep. ran every business, green grocery, laundries, yep. you name it. And now the Indians who run every dairy we know mm -hmm. because they work so hard because they need to mm -hmm. and they don't mind. Mm -hmm. It's the same in London with Polish. My son lives in an apartment where the Poles built it, the Poles mm -hmm. clean the whole place mm -hmm. because the British, British mm -hmm. won't. So the Scots went to India as well. Mm -hmm. Scotland had 10% of its population left. 
when the English had pushed them out because landowning issues wanted their land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So as as, as so it's said, just it's interesting to look at history. Exactly. History. And it's quite interesting. You talk about the Scottish diaspora, and mm. we in New Zealand. You know, immigration is such a, a hot topic at the moment, but we have the second largest diaspora of all nations yes. in the world, so yes. Yes. Uh, we, we yes. like to enjoy the privilege yes. of going elsewhere, yes. so we need to then be sure that we're welcoming our people yes. that come here. And among, yeah. I take your darkness point, among my singing students, I have Iraqi people and Croatians and Serbians and Pacifica and everything, mm. and they all tell the same story. Yeah. Deprivation. Well, we were just talking earlier about, you know, and, and I want to own this as an old person, grumpy old person. Um, the other one that I was thinking of was um, Children of the Poor, right? Um, great New Zealand novel, you know, and yet, you know, I find it ironic that we don't treasure it or put it in our school system. Um, I find it, you know, as a person that's getting ready to do the Ponsonby Walk, how can I walk around Ponsonby and Grayland and not acknowledge that that's mm. Lee, the writer, who then was that Member of Parliament. Mm. And that there was a generation that believed that the working struggle required that you had to enter the realm of the political um, sphere to maintain, to bring about change. Mm. Mm. So, uh, yeah. I noticed actually we're, we're hitting my, mm. my, I don't have the right time. Perhaps we could talk about one of the other questions, the responsibility well, of wealthy countries. I think we have already moved into that terrain, and I was yeah. just going to say Andrea wanted to get in a bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, time, well, so. and, and what Alma was saying about uh, taking better care of uh, immigrants, I guess also looking at um, under what scheme they come in. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when I'm I, um, working with refugees and kind of like the, pr the big promises that they're given, for a new life and a new start in New Zealand, especially when they're um, spending six weeks up at Mangere Resettlement Centre, um, and they're sort of go through this training course of cultural assimilation, getting to understand the New Zealand system, and there's all these promises of you know being able to start a new life, being granted support, ongoing support, and when in actuality that support is limited and in its temporality. Mm. Um, and, you know, our capability to take care of refugees is actually limited more and more in terms of how long agencies and institutions can provide services. So they're uh, facing, like, one year after they arrive, they're expected to be fully independent, fully self-sufficient. And some are not at that stage. And they're put in really uh, precarious and vulnerable positions mm. because of... Um, you know that kind of we have to consider our ethical obligation to yeah. yeah. kind of support funding how we allocate resources and services and I mean for example one thing that comes to mind is that um, former refugees are on the same benefit scheme as unemployed people. However, they're unable to culturally or sometimes through language barriers navigate extremely complicated mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. um, if they miss an appointment or if they mm. don't provide one right document, they're taken off the benefit, mm. unable to really defend themselves um, mm. and actually, you know, so it's, it's about recognizing the specificity of the cultural groups that are entering um, New Zealand and how we are catering to provide those um, nuances and each 
specific situation. Yeah. yeah. So I guess kind of going back to what we were talking, you know, sort of the state providing hope and mm. care, mm. and how that has somewhat been lost in this neoliberal, hyper-economic mm -hmm. um, climate, where the responsibility is no longer in the state. It's back thrown back to the individual, mm -hmm. um, thrown back to individuals, um, mm. volunteers, um, social um, community workers, and it's no longer the responsibility of the state to mm -hmm. protect its subjects. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. But is citizenship itself a form of subordination? Mm. Yeah. Mm. How much of a free agent are you when you swear allegiance yeah. to the state and to the queen? Mm. Uh, how, how open are your community, how open is your community access? Yeah. Um, I was challenged um, uh, in the 80s, that was my quote coming out. Uh, so the 81 Springbok tour was just, uh, to me, it was a marvellous developmental stage of my life. Been arrested six times, prosecuted once, and my mother went, oh God, we'll figure it out somehow. Um, yet, um, what we see is that when I had to go, I had to go before my tours for the Pacific Island Church, I had to go explain my behaviour. I had to explain, and as I tried to talk to our old people, um, their wisdom was, and then I loved the backhanded compliment I got from the old people, and they went, yes, but you're a New Zealand citizen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm like, uh, and our parents really believed that if they went protesting, they would be sent back to the islands. You know, and um, my heart really went to them, because I was going, and I was, I was a privileged brown bourgeoisie, uh, doing all those middle class educated stuff. And yet, failing to remember, my parents are in factories, they're working double shifts. Um, I work in that area now, and um, the workers don't get time out, don't get the tea breaks, don't get smoko, don't get the, the money for those breaks. Mm -hmm. They're on call. You know, um, it's worse. And it's, I think it's appalling. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to answer Bruce's question, actually, citizenship... Uh, uh, it provides a framework, a legal framework, mm. and a political framework, and if people don't have it, they are so much more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, mm -hmm. well, it's a, it's a system of exchange, isn't it? Where yeah. the the state is the primary donor, and us as subjects have to <coughs> eternally mm -hmm. repay and be grateful. You know, that kind of being grateful for just being accepted and being laid in. Um, that we're never fully um, out of our deep to the state. Like when you pledge allegiance, and mm -hmm. I did it with my mom when we also became Mexican and New Zealander, mm -hmm. somehow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like who do you, you know, pledge to God, the Queen, like, it was, and I don't think we acknowledge the kind of emotional and experiential mm -hmm. attachment that one can have during those big celebrations and rituals, social yeah. rituals, that it was quite an emotional time for myself. And despite of the tensions and contradictions of 
pledging allegiance to the queen, I was so happy to become a New Zealander. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like that dissonance mm. that we can have within a state subjects of wanting to belong, being spat right out because of discrimination or finding some barriers, but at the same time having to perform that gratitude mm -hmm. of being let in in those public events and pledging allegiance, for example, or just attending national celebrations and being like, oh, we, we are allowed to be here. Mm -hmm. It's quite a difficult state to inhabit mm -hmm. as an immigrant. And as a religious person, uh, when I was on placement, uh, one of the first duties they gave me was was the citizenship thing. You know, like they turned around and went, "Oh, you've done great timing. You're in Mount Talbot. Do you know that we're welcoming all these citizens?" You know what I'm going. And our role is, I mean, we're the religious guys that go in to bless these poor migrants. You know, I was like far out. You know, like one part of me was like fuck, and then the other side of me was going. My mother would be going, come on, be good. We're migrants. We're all migrants. Mm -hmm. you know, so it is, it's that tension, and how do we want to respond to that? Mm -hmm. Just to make a tiny point, we swear allegiance to the Queen and to God. I'd actually quite like to swear allegiance to either of those because I didn't elect them. <laughs> I think that's a very valid point. But our power mm -hmm. is that we elect the state, which yeah. is different from the Queen and God. Yeah. Is that better? So that's my one hope in the world, yeah. is that we actually are in a democracy and we can still elect people, we don't always do it very wisely, mm. Mm. but we can. Mm. But then you get down to the media, don't you? Yeah, then you yeah. get down to the power of the yeah. media to tell us what the only way we know. Yes, right. yeah. mm. The other, I mean, actually going back to the points that have been made, I don't know if I can that I think wisely this guy called Benedict Anderson who did a lot of work on, you know, talked yeah. about this problem. States, how do states, like, you know, in the colonial period, maps, lines mm. were drawn through whole countries, through peoples mm -hmm. who were sort of, you're on this side, you're on that side. So how do you get those disparate groups who are, you know, to, who are other to think of a we, and we talked about this earlier just informally, mm. right? Like, and you mentioned it now, the we. How do we get the we out of all of this disparate, you know, sort of <coughs> power divided, class divided, racially, raci you know, the, the racially sort of marked people? How do you get the we out of all of that? Right? Well, I would probably say that one, um, one part of that links back to what um, the woman in the audience here, Catherine. Catherine, mentioned about the egalitarianism that yeah. New Zealand was supposedly founded on, which I might mention didn't include Māori. Mm. Um, so <laughs> we were always to be an underclass, um, to be colonised and conquered and dispossessed mm. in that um, beautiful equation. Now we're kind of moving to a stage where we have a treaty settlement process and we talk about the power of, of symbolism and, and ceremony. Mm -hmm. There has been a lot that's been happening with the, the um, treaty settlements that has provided that opportunity, but it's really Māori and officials that are participating in that. And there's not much space for Pākehā New Zealanders, or um, and when I say Pākehā, I include non-white New Zealanders who are non-Māori as well. So there's been little uh, opportunity 
um, for reconciliation with those groups. So that's that's created a difficulty in creating a we. But also if we look at the other things that tend to divide us, so um, rising inequality is surely one of the things that we use to divide us. We have a segregated country and it's, it's really heightened in the Auckland context where we have... Um, some some suburbs are self-segregating, so a group of people of a particular background will choose to purchase in a particular area because they can afford to, and then you have those that can't afford to, to have that luxury, to have that choice, and so they are segregated um, in a way that is forced. So I'm, I don't have a problem with self-segregation, and um, if it's about cultural preservation, I think that's fine, um, but we, we do have to look at, at how our education system and our housing market and these types of things cause us to be to be segregated and um, prevent that opportunity for engagement mm-hmm. and community building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of like looking at that idea of not um, using the rhetoric of division and um, and you know yeah. within this idea of biculturalism, not being able to resolve. Um, disputes that go back a, um, a long time because it's just now being reified in this Pakeha, non-Pakeha, Maori, you know, like this kind of culturally essentializing discourse that doesn't allow for the flexibility of um, conversation. Oh, but I think it does. It's just that we haven't figured out how to engage with that dialogue. Um, so we're now becoming aware, you know, you need to get involved. Uh, you need to participate, or you're going to be feeling just as marginalised, just as excluded. You know, and, and that—that's where, um, yeah. Um, for this Samoan, I got the culture shock of that. I married an English woman, and then my culture shock was that this English woman was pro Maori. Mm-hmm. Next thing I knew, my children are going to Kohangareo, Kudako Papa. Um, all of a sudden, I'm spending time with you know Ngāti Raukawa, then Ngāti. And my poor father in Australia and Auckland from Zabal was going, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and then on top of that, you've got my English side, uh, Peterborough, London, uh, the Strixons. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going through that whole thing of um, mm-hmm. how do we figure out the issues? Mm-hmm. You know, so my grandchildren are awesome. They're great. My grandchildren tell me, you know that Fasa thing, Papa? I go, yep, ain't in my world. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I laughed. You know, because um, amongst real Samoans, you're not allowed to say that. You say that, you're dead. You know, but, you know, uh, because my wife's taught me, hey, you listen to the kids. Um, Oi, we, we want the best. You know, our parents all came here for a better future. You know, so I listen to my children and now my grandchildren, I slam them with the worst answer. And I tell my grandchildren, you know what? And they go, what, old man? I go, I used to be you. You know, but now... I see a position where we have to get involved. We've got to participate, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and there's this whole thing about, you know, we're going back to, isn't it ironic? We're going in a circle where we're going back to when one talks about the political definition of um, citizenship. Mm-hmm. We're also going back to, you know, like I found it interesting because I had to be in another panel and people were uncomfortable when I kept because I was the religious token guy again. I was going, isn't this about civic duty? And they were all looking at me like I was some sort of caveman. They're going, excuse me? And I'm going, isn't this about civic duty? Is this not about my role as a participating citizen of this country to vote? 
to make people aware, give the options and you make your own decisions. Mm -hmm. is, is that not what civic duty and engagement is supposed to be about? Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know. So you're talking about the rights and responsibilities yes. of citizenship. And in, yeah. Canada, in Canada, there is a proposal to include treaty rights, the recognition of treaty rights mm -hmm. in the it's, citizenship. It's not a proposal, it's oh, happening. It's, it's happening. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's could, could that also be in the Australian citizenship pledge? They talk about pledge rather than oath, swear. Um, and um, how do we accommodate people that don't recognize our God in their immigration That's right. citizenship ceremony? Yeah. How do we accommodate those people? Mm. Uh, this is obviously not a problem in Trump's America right now, which excludes everyone. Uh, once a very accommodating country to 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 the world's poverty poverty stricken, and uh, of course that was built into their constitution, but no longer walls going up everywhere, resistance everywhere, and um, of course Brexit is the same. You talk about the polls most disparaged yeah. uh, nationals in the UK. My sons of the Labour Party leaders electorate joined mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. very rapidly yeah. before Brexit happened. And, and I think we have to be careful. Is in the yeah. States and he's a German Jew and he said, my father owed his life to America offering freedom. Mm -hmm. And then it was there when our war mm -hmm. was defeated. Mm -hmm. And right. sent emails all over the world weeping. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. can, I, can I just like we're getting close to the end. I'm going to put one more issue forward yes. to the panel, please, which is, okay, so we're talking about what is our sort of individual and collective responsibility. And since we're in a, a gallery, in a community centre, can I bring it back to, to the artist or art in some way and say, you know, because we've got two artists on the panel, is, is there a role for, a, a, you know, a, an institution like this or, you know, the poets, the thinkers, the writers, what, what art, visual artists, reader yes. artists, what is the role of the artist in all of this conversation? Mm. We also have artists in the audience. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's, a, it's a collective yeah. kind of question. Nice. Yeah, what are the responsibilities of artists in issues such as this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is an amazing conversation. I'm sorry I came in late. Um, I, as, as, a, as an immigrant, as a Korean immigrant, I liked... Uh, I'd like to I'd like to refer to one as the Korean, Korean Kiwi. Um, uh, there's so much going on, but I'd, I, it's hard to organise my thoughts. I'm very excited and you know, um, a lot of things going on at the moment. But uh, this idea of egalitarian New Zealand, it is a mythical creature, perhaps because and a lot of things. Uh, for example, I think with our nature, and uh, we a lot of people say we are proud of our beautiful nature. Well, proud is a very funny word to use there because we didn't do anything to get that, it's sort of, uh, it's because we've been here not as long as other places in the world, we had less time to stuff it up. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. I mean, it is not even, uh, there's, clearly that's what's happened. So, so, so I mean, as a, uh, this is where I live, this is, there is such a notion as to this is my country, even though I think this, uh, uh, this uh, concept of sort of nationality in the country is fast becoming obsolete. Mm -hmm. Because uh, yeah. we're getting mixed, and you know, yeah. uh, I'm sh uh, 
So, but I'm not, but I do understand that there needs to be uh, logistically perhaps something there, mm. and this is still physical sort of uh, 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 um, where you reside physically. Is an idea that we've had for such a long time, and because of what the the, uh, the communication as as what it was uh, wasn't as easy back in uh, back in time, so that you, you only could uh, communicate probably physically. And that's, and then you sort of, you get your groups who live religious. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the, uh, in European history anyway, at least as a religious groups of churches, they, they form towns and so on. Um, but yeah, this idea of New Zealand being great. It is great. I want to live here. I've lived in five countries. Mm -hmm. um, I was born in Korea. I, was, I moved here in 93 as a kid, as a 10, 11 year old. I, st I studied in Japan for a year, I studied in Holland for five years, I've also worked in Australia. This is where I want to be. And you, what people have to understand is that they might be bringing lots of money and, and that might be an option as an immigrant, which may or may not be the greatest idea. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter if they're bringing money or just the, or the other option is point systems. So my father, he, he, we, we, as a family, we couldn't do, we couldn't do the money thing because we didn't have enough money in, in that sense. But um, he, he was educated, and my son was my mum, and so on, and so he did it on the point system. Mm -hmm. And but whichever way you uh, was was as your journey, it is really hard moving countries. It's not like people come here for shits and giggles, mm. or anywhere if you yeah. decide to move, yeah. leave your life, leave your family, yeah. and move country is freaking hard. Mm. And. But I think well, I'd like to ask you to stop talking. But I think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, it, it's, we can all talk about these little tweaks of regulations and laws and philosophies and morals and mm. ethics. I think we, if, if we just learn to treat each each other properly, mm. none of this will be happening. It doesn't matter if you're, a, you know, mm. any being animal, person, yellow, white, blue. It doesn't matter. I don't. I don't but I think that's what we're missing. Mm. And. Yeah, just treat them as you would. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what religion or what sport you play, what music you play. I don't think it really matters. If you just, you're really sure this is just because of this, you're going to do this to this person or this being or whatever. Mm. And I guess to conclude, as a musician myself, um, our role is I've been privileged, and I'm very privileged. Um, and, to, to I learned that living in, in different countries and working in different countries as a musician has taught me that it doesn't matter. If you, again, blue, white, yellow, whatever you are, there's a way to communicate. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned to do and that's what I love to do and that's what I'm very good at. Mm -hmm. So that's my uh, role in you could say society or in my own life, mm -hmm. to, uh, to be able to communicate with others, share my stories. And I don't use, like to use the word teaching because the you know, way it doesn't exist. I can only show people the, the way that I did things for certain whatever and share my stories and that's about it, learn to, learn to uh, listen to others. And because it's a language that's sort of a lot, seems to be a lot more uh, easily acceptable by uh, whether you, again, you know, whatever you are, wherever you're from, so that I think it's, it's a quite an easy way to, to, to achieve that sort of uh, yeah, sense of belonging, because mm -hmm. yeah, you were talking about before, yeah. and that makes people good. So who else would like to uh, contribute to the, yes?
I just uh, yes. make one very brief comment. Um, some very, very important themes that we touched on today. We had a very attentive but limited audience. Mm -hmm. It would be wonderful if this workshop, this forum, could be presented to a larger audience mm -hmm. in some way. Because mm -hmm. I think New Zealanders, I count myself as a native New Zealander of immigrant parents, that um, this discussion has to be going out to a wider mm -hmm. audience than just those who are here in attendance today. I think it will be. Um, that's why we're rec recording it. And I'd ask my uh, dear partner, <laughs> and uh, an academic expert in this field to talk just briefly about what she's getting her students to do back in, mm -hmm. in a citizenship oh. and immigration class that she's teaching right now. Actually, they're working at two different classes. One is called Citizenship Beyond Borders, and the other one is Migration and Identity. And I, I get them a little muddled in my, my head. One is fourth, thousand, fourth year, one is third year. But the third years are busy doing research into um, immigration policy and citizenship requirements in the immigration countries I mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. So they're going to report back to me on that when I get back. So that's that. But the other ones are collecting stories about, not unlike your reading room project, stories about immigration and refugees in the, in the media. And it's stunning to teach at a university level and find out, you know, by the time you're even at the third year, Students are not reading media. They are not. I mean, that's there's a reason why newspapers are going out of business and so on. So that leaves them getting information about the world from the Twitterverse and wherever. That is very frightening. And I think you raised it when you were talking about kids. I mean, so so that's another another issue. But it is important. Like you know, who's going to come out into a forum like this? You know, how is that communicated? It would be great to have this conversation replicated over and over again. Mm. I do it in the classroom, and I feel very privileged to be able to do that. Um, but maybe, we were talking earlier, there's not University of Auckland and Andrea's department, I don't think anyone teaches this, this subject matter. Um, maybe we know, of course you teach it, Waikato, yeah. right? Yep. And you're, right? Do you teach what no. you Oh, okay, sorry. No, but um, when we talk about responsibilities, I feel a responsibility to engage with, with mm. events like this and um, with the media just to yeah. include different narratives than the one we usually presented oh. with. Mm. Yeah. And I guess I should say, in, in the University of Auckland, there is classes um, provided to postgraduates around um, refugees and migration. Yeah. It's just there's no academic. Okay, sorry, I shouldn't misrepresent what I don't understand. I think it's a slap in the hand when I come back. Yeah, sorry, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to, to actually. No, no, so does that answer your does that answer your comment, which was very very yeah. good? Can I can I also yeah, jump in? The thoughts that I had was that uh, Maori television is a wonderful wonderful mm. forum. Good mm. mm. sorts of uh, well, discussions and debates. Yeah. I'd like to jump in on the artist uh, thing. Um, as a as a wannabe poet person, um, one of the roles that I have in my ministry is, um, and it's a great honour, is I, I get to go launch and do the honouring of our artists. And one of the things that I love about our artists is that they push the boundaries 
they are courageous about that it's misinterpreted, it's hated, it's unappreciated, mm-hmm. and yet there they are pushing the envelope because we're human. As human, uh, we have to ask the hard questions. Mm-hmm. And we've got to ask our communities and our, you know, well, why is this important or is that not important? I mean, and so um, in PIC, where I come from, Pacific Islanders Church, our Reverend was Reverend um, LIC Orth. In the 60s, he was doing um, these uh, openings for art exhibitions, and our Pacific communities were like, no, you don't do um, art openings, you know, and Reverend Seal was awesome. That's the 60s, and he was already going, our children are there. If we're not there with our children, um, our children will be the lost generation, mm-hmm. we, and we will be a deep church. You know, and I'm not talking about the church outreach. What I'm talking about is the human links. Um, I like that our artists make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I love that our artists are confronting us. You know, like right now, um, when I talk to my grandchildren, my grandchildren are awesome. You know, like I've got a six-year-old grandson, he went home, his father laughed and laughed when he turned around and goes, I believe in Father Christmas, I believe in the elves, but I don't trust Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and my son burst out laughing, you know. Um, the artist role is, is really a terrible, terrible journey. I agree with, you know, the parents, go get a real job. Take the easy way. Don't get, you know, put away by, you know, all this, um, you're not going to make any money or you're not going to be famous. But our artists are right. It's, it's well, sorry for using religious imagery again. It's a calling. It's, it's, it really works inside you asking you to, you know, you can't hold it. You have to share it because that's who you are. Your being is engaging. You know, and so it's exciting. I, I really take my hat off. Uh, right now, there's a beautiful Fafafini, uh, Linda, um, Lepo down in um, Wellington. She's outrageous. She's absolutely terrible. But her design, her fashion, uh, and um, one of the things I learned off them was, Rev, it's not bitch. It's, mm-hmm. it's Biachi. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, excuse me? You know, and, and, and that's why it's really important. Hear your kids, man. You know, like that. She's going to be left behind, and I, and I love it. Linda Lepo's got her fabulous exhibition in um, Governor General's. Mm-hmm. And, and all and um, for us on our Pacific side, we have the most awesome Pacific sisters. Uh, they are pioneers, you know, and they're down there celebrating. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I hope as a society we're going to you know, appreciate our artists. I mean, this is why I love looking at the richness of our arts. Uh, visual to performance to oh people, uh, it's an expression of our humanity. It's this is why I, I, I love this guy straight away. My son's a musician, uh, his music. Uh, my children, my grandchildren have told me they're even better. You know, when you're grandparents and you hear your grandchildren say that, you know there's hope. Mm. You know, so blessings and peace to all of you. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, thank you so much uh, for a brilliant uh, conversation and. I'd like to invite everyone to um, <coughs> join us to go to the night market, grab some food, come back here, and then get ready for um, Phil Datsun's performance at six o'clock. With Kevin Kim and Rui. And Rui. <laughs> and, um, and also the exhibitions uh, continue tonight. Um, uh, shows by Jeremy Leotanu, um, uh, Lisa 
Peter Crowley, and you're in the Lee's uh, installation, which goes everywhere. So oh, yeah. 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 Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.